you grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis, we'll be in chapter 39, I believe. And uh, we started last week this new series in the life of Joseph, seeing how God moved and worked in his life and how God wants to move in our lives as he did in Joseph's life. As we continue in this series, Joseph and the Average Joe, we'll be looking at chapter 39 specifically. With all temptation, I want to read the entire chapter to you, but uh, I want to ask you, instead of just me reading it, to have you let your eyes go over this chapter in your Bible, the one you're holding in your hand, your phone, your Bible, whatever you have, look at it right there, as I paraphrase this story that we're very familiar with. By way of reminder, or maybe by some who are not as familiar with this story, we find Joseph is now in Egypt, and he has been purchased by Potiphar. He is one of the captain of the guards, and he bought him as as a servant or a slave for his household. And, And Potiphar began to see that everything that Joseph put his hand to, success would flow out of it. And so he quickly began to turn over one responsibility to another, to another, to another. And pretty soon, Joseph was running the whole house. Scripture says that Potiphar didn't have to think about anything but what he would eat. That was it. He just knew that everything was going to be taken care of. Joseph was serving and being acknowledged for his good service. And this interesting turn of events in this story around verse 7 happens. It tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Uh, A week ago or so, I, I talked about how Joseph... Must have been the Brad Pitt or George Clooney of his day. He was a very good-looking guy, I guess. And not only did Potiphar notice him, Potiphar's wife notices him. It's here in this text that we find the the real-life temptation that came to Joseph's feet when Potiphar's wife said, I want to be intimate with you. It tells us over and over she said she wanted to be with him, and he resisted and resisted until one day she had kind of cornered him, and she said, I want to be with you, and he had to run, and he literally had to run out of his coat, out of his cloak, and she was left holding his coat as he fled that area of temptation. She turns the tables, and she is so angry that he rejected her that she conjures up this story and says that Joseph came on to her, and and she was uh, attacked by Joseph, and and here's the evidence. He left this cloak, his coat here, and she told this to her husband, Potiphar, and he was so angry that he had Joseph put into prison. And there in prison, the same thing happened as Joseph followed the Lord. He was given more responsibility, and he took over more of the role of leader in that prison area. I want to focus in on this section of the scripture tonight. Last week we looked at Joseph and how dysfunctional his family was. If you missed last week, I encourage you to uh, check that out online. If you are feeling kind of bad about your family, listen to last week's and you will feel pretty good that your family may not be as, as messed up as Joseph's family was. But the key thought was God can work even in the midst of our dysfunctional families. God can break through. In the midst of this temptation, God gave strength to Joseph. What an account we find here in Genesis 39. Joseph is surely faced with sexual temptation of great degree. There's a lot 
that us as the average Joe, the everyday person, can learn from Joseph's experience. And I want you to grab your notes and follow along with me. Look at the beginning there at the top. See, first, Joseph, for Joseph, sexual, sexual temptation came from Potiphar's wife. That was where it originated from. That's where it came to him was from Potiphar's wife. And for us, sexual temptation comes from a sexually saturated culture. As I was preparing to share this teaching tonight, it crossed my mind that I think there would be some who would be tempted to think, well, this is a good message for somebody else. I wish that they were here tonight. And you know what? I I could think of so-and-so, and they really need to hear this, but not me. Friend, if you live in the world that I live in today, it is such a sexually charged, sexual saturated culture that the enemy is bringing temptation to every single person in this room. I've told you before, my friend named Lynn, Lynn Madison, he's in heaven now. He was close to uh, 90 years old when he went on to be with the Lord. As you remember, Lynn was my friend who moved ever so slowly with a walker, but you knew he was coming because he made quite a bit of racket as he was making his way down the hallway. One day in my office, I had my door open and I could hear that Lynn was coming by the sound of the walker scraping and he was plodding along and I was planning the conversation as Lynn would come into my field of view and he would be there for a while and then usually he wouldn't stop, he'd just keep going. So you had to get out your question quick or else you'd miss Lynn. And I said, Lynn, as soon as I saw him, I said, I'm studying temptation. Tell me, are you dealing with temptation in your life? You've loved Jesus for all these years. Without skipping a beat, Lynn didn't stop. He kept moving slowly across my doorway. He said, I was tempted five minutes ago. And he just left. (laughs) Apparently, it was frustrating to him. I knew Lynn well enough to know that his heart was saying that there's not a day, there's not a time or a season in his life when the enemy didn't try to get him off course. Now, no doubt, the temptation may not always be the same. It may not be the same for each person in this room. It may not be the same avenue of temptation for us in every season of life. But make no mistake, the enemy is prowling around like a lion wanting to destroy your very life. Not just in certain seasons. In every season of life, he wants to destroy you. And though we're keen in on sexual temptation, and I believe for many, many of us, we need to hear this message specifically, the help and the remedy here applies to any type of temptation in our life. We have our sexual temptation that originates, that comes from a sexually saturated culture. We live in this culture that advertises and tries to sell everything from soap to cars with a sexually charged ad base we find little girls are encouraged to be sexy younger and younger music is laced with all kinds of references to sexuality television is not just a place where every now and then you can find sex on tv it's everywhere I'm not stating this to try to say that you should not be a part of any media. You should not be a part of anything in the culture. I'm just stating the fact that we are to be in the world but not of the world. And it is so saturated with this skewed view of human sexuality. It is coming in at every angle. 
I want to share some statistics with you. And whenever I hear statistics like that, if I'm in your seat, I go, where did that come from? I would love to share with you. I have a website for those who'd like to look at it. Come up after. It's this long. And I would like you to see some recent stats from the Christian research community that tells us a little bit of how real this challenge is in our world. The number of families who claim to be Christian, there's 47% of families who say they are Christian, say that pornography is a problem in their home currently. The average age of the first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old. 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds report having viewed pornography online. As we look at the category of women in our culture, the stats tell us that one in three visitors to adult websites are women. 17% of all women report that they view pornography on a regular basis. Church, it used to be, as we dealt with this issue, we pushed it to the side and said, this is a men's issue. This should be something we talk about only when we gather the men together. Our culture has no longer kept this as just a man's issue. It is A body of Christ issue. 40 million U.S. adults regularly visit pornography sites. The Promise Keepers group, a a gathering of Christian men, reported that 53% of Promise Keeper men stated that they viewed pornography in the last week. came from one of their conferences. Internet pornography sales are $4.9 billion annually. Pornographic websites are 4.2 million. That's 12% of all websites on the Internet. Over 10% of what is found on the Internet is of a pornography-type nature. This is not just an issue with pornography, but this desensitization of sexual sin is very real. Culture has has been desensitized to sexual sin what once was taboo is now expected this goes way beyond just pornography on the internet or on tv or on cable or on satellite it has changed the rules of what a sexual relationship could and should look like from a what is the definition of is president there has been generations of men and women and boys and girls who are living out skewed ideas of what is right and wrong technically. We see our society sinking deeper and deeper into sexual sin, and and this isn't anything new. It's tragic, it's a real problem, but it's not new on the face of the earth. Listen to 2 Peter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their evil teaching That there is nothing wrong with sexual sin. And because of them, Christ and his way will be scoffed at. That seems like that could be written today. It seems like that could fit with what's happening in our culture right now. Joseph faced sexual temptation just like we do in our culture. So let's look. What is this temptation? Temptation at its core is Satan's attempt to get us To meet a God-given need in a way that is outside the boundaries established by God. 
temptation at its core is, is this attempt to get us to do something that we know we shouldn't do. James 4.17 tells us, anyone who knows the good that he or she ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Satan brings temptation and says, fulfill that need, fulfill that desire to be loved, to be cherished, to, to relax, to have rest, to have entertainment or excitement. Fulfill that need in a way that's outside the boundaries that God has set up for us. You see, Satan desires just to twist the truth enough that it's no longer truth. When we begin to seek pleasure outside of God's boundaries, Satan has succeeded. He is a liar. He will do everything he can to entice you away from God's loving plan for your life. James 1.13 gives us these words. And remember... No one who wants to do wrong should ever say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else either. God may allow a test to come to you. He may allow the enemy to bring temptation to you, but God never tempts you. God never tries to trick you and try to get you to go astray. We need to be clear that Satan is the father of lies. He's the one who brings temptation to you. See, God establishes every boundary to provide for us and to protect for us. I hope you take this to heart tonight. This is not a God who says, I want to be a a killjoy. I want to be legalistic. I want to just try to take everything that would appear to be pleasurable or fun in your life and take it away. God gives boundaries every time to provide and to protect us. I like how one author puts it, every time that God says stop or God says no, he's saying that stop, that's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt somebody else. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Why can't I put my hand on the burner? It seems so fun. It glows. It's warm. Let's just put my hand on it. No. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt. Don't do it. Taking the knife and sticking it in the electrical socket. That sounds fun. It looks like it's going to be great. What do you mean don't do it? It's going to hurt. Don't. I like how one preacher has said, why do we get offended when God tells us no? Do we get offended when we're driving and we see a do not enter sign on the ramp that's coming off of the highway that we shouldn't go on because cars are coming at us? Who are they to tell me that I can't go down that ramp? Go ahead, you're going to have a head-on collision. Don't be offended by the do not enter. Know that it's there for your protection. Every boundary that God gives to us is for our protection and for our provision. It's just like the boundaries that we set up for our kids. At our house, we have boundaries for Caden on her bike. Out the left of our house, you can go all the way down to the end of the street. There's a specific house that she knows that's as far as she can go. Down the right, she can go all the way to a certain house. She knows that's as far as she can go. So we can protect her. I have to be able to look out the window or step out the front door and be able to see where she is at any given time. But it's not just to be able to protect her and to see where she's at. We've discovered that Ears don't listen as well the farther away you get. And when it's time for dinner, to yell, come on in, I've got food for you. If you're outside the boundaries, you miss dinner. And this isn't good for anybody. God is the same way. 
He says, when I've told you to stay within the boundaries, it's to protect you, but also to provide for you. Stay close enough to me that you can hear my voice. Close enough that when I have a blessing for you, that you are ready to come close and and have what I have prepared for you. Let's look at how we can learn from Joseph and how we can overcome sexual temptation the way he has. I'm going to give some of these in rapid fire, so I may speed up my talker. That means you're going to need to speed up your listener. Are you ready? If you don't know where that is, it's behind your left ear. There's a knob, and it just says, listen faster. If I'm talking too fast, maybe it's you're listening too slow. So we'll see if we can match our pace together. Number one, the power to overcome sexual temptation comes only from the Lord. We have to get this right. This is not about willpower. This is not about discipline. This is not about gritting your teeth and, and I'm just going to do better. This is only in the power of the Lord. Genesis 39 verse 2 says this, The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Many fail in their attempt to break free from sexual sin because they strive to do it in their own strength. It was the Lord who gave strength to Joseph and the blessing that God gave to Joseph that allowed him to prosper. It wasn't Joseph himself. There are some good practical steps that we can take in this, and and let's look at those. Number two, we must know God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is key. This is paramount. What you cherish in your heart affects you. If you cherish God's word, you hide it in your heart, it will aid in resisting temptation. I cannot hide God's word in my heart and bring truth without it shining light on the dark things in our heart. Men, on Thursday morning, we've been talking about the things that we put in our heart and we allow in our heart. We've been taught to monitor our words, to monitor our behavior. But when do we ever get taught about monitoring what goes into our heart? When we meditate and we memorize God's word, it shines the light of truth on the dark areas of our heart. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, when we talk about breaking free from sexual sin and and having victory over sexual temptation, we often miss how key the Word of God is in fighting this battle. We have to meditate on God's Word. Ephesians 6, 16 and 17. In every battle, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's so important. Let's move on to the third key principle we can see in fighting this temptation. We must see that it comes from the Lord. We must know that it's God's word. We must know God's word to break free. And we must pray. Matthew twenty six forty one. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. Now, don't just pray when temptation comes. I mean, do that. That's good. When temptation's there, pray. But be alert. Don't wait to talk to God until you're in a mess. Talk to God. That communication will help you navigate around the mess. He'll provide a way out, yes, but he often wants to give you a detour where you never have to be face-to-face with that temptation. The challenge is, well, I don't know if I want to be that dependent on God. He is waiting to provide and to protect you if you listen to him and press in in prayer. Number four, we must recognize that we are not our own. 
Now check this out. This is powerful, and it's very countercultural. It's opposite of what we see around us. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph was purchased by Potiphar. I don't know anybody here who says, well, I'm pretty excited about being purchased by somebody. I don't know that I'm pretty excited about not being my own, but this plays a key factor into Joseph's response. We're in the same boat, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or, do, or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. When we try to fight sexual temptation, even when we try to rely on God's power, if we feel that we are our own, this is my life, my body, it is my choice, we will lose the battle every time if we deny that we are bought with a price. We need to see that we are not our own. Joseph, when he responded to Potiphar's wife, he said, I have been entrusted with great responsibility. I could never do that to Potiphar, and I could surely never do that to God. He saw that he was not his own and he was given blessings to him and it would crush and and ruin relationships around him. Number five in your outline, look at that. We must look at the consequences. Now, I have to give a warning here that if you kind of just want some help in sexual sin or sexual temptation, don't listen here. If you want freedom, listen. If you just kind of want some help and you kind of want to just dilly-dally around and just kind of mess with it, you're not really desiring to have change come into your life, I I need to warn you, don't listen to this. But if you want change to happen, this is where it begins to take place. We must look at the consequences. Verse 8 and 9, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph takes his eyes away from the lure of temptation and looks at the consequences. He's been given responsibility and this would be a break of trust. He looked at the relationships that would be shattered. See, no temptation occurs in a vacuum. Every temptation is a part of the universal struggle between Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of God. Temptation is Satan's attempt to stop God's plan for you and through you. Number six, then we must not only look for the consequences, we need to train our eyes to look for the way out. Again, if you don't really want to change, you need to stop listening because when we see the consequences, this next one comes right after 1 Corinthians 10:13 And no temptation is irresistible. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. We must look for the way of escape. Now, sometimes we miss this. And we want God to help us, but we fall and we say, I just couldn't help myself. And and I find myself doing those things again or or looking at those things again or acting that way again or, or speaking to that person that way again. And I never wanted to do that. I don't know what happened. What are you looking for? Were you looking for a way of escape or did you already plan that you have failed and you were just going to make it right later? 
When you look at the consequences and you look for the way out, God is faithful to provide an escape. It's not just enough to see the consequences. It's not just enough to identify the way out. Number seven has to take place. We must run from it. Genesis 39, verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. This literally is saying, run, run, keep on running. Nah, just kind of avoid it. No. Run, run, keep on running as far away from it as you possibly can. We have to put action to what it is that God is telling us. And when we put action to what God says, moving in obedience, it's a compromise killer. Now, this will mess up your plans if your desire is to have God kind of help you a little bit, but you don't really want to change. You don't really want to let go of this area of sexual sin. But if you want it gone, if you want freedom, when you act on what God has told you, you're looking for the consequences, you're looking for the escape, you're beginning to run from it, putting action to what God has shown to you, you will break free. You can't keep compromising if you act in obedience on what God's telling you. Finally, number eight, we must take our thoughts captive. We are needing to make sure that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Be proactive. Don't let your thought life run rampant. Now here's a a quick test that we can do to help us in this. If we are wise, we will look beyond the immediate pleasure of sin to the ultimate effects it has on our future. Here's the first of a series of three tests. Test every thought, every opportunity, every relationship in light of your past experience. This is where we love to play the game of gray areas. Well, I mean, okay, I I shouldn't commit adultery, or I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't do that, but what about these gray areas? In everything, test it like this. Every opportunity, every thought, ask, in light of my past experiences, what would be the most beneficial for me? In light of your past experiences. Don't fall in the trap of saying, well, so-and-so did this and they were fine or, or they could do this. What have you experienced in your past? What past failures? What past hurts? What past things affect what it is God wants to protect you from and provide for you? Also, the second test. Test every thought and every opportunity and relationship in light of current weaknesses. Don't get prideful and say, well, I can handle this. You know your weakness. One of the resources I'm going to talk to you about here in a minute is a book entitled Every Man's Battle. And I love one of the principles they talk about in there is to form a battle plan against sexual temptation. Chart out on paper and look to see when are you falling to temptation. Is it when you're hungry? Is it when you're lonely? Is it when you're, you're unaccountable in your time? Where do you find that you fall? And, and, and build a battle plan in light of your current weaknesses. There's some things that you may need to change that may not make sense to anybody else. I've got some prayer partners and friends, and they just don't have a computer anywhere 
that somebody couldn't walk in. I have another friend who they never ever try to be alone after 10 o'clock at night because that was a weakness for them. Where is the current weakness? In light of your current weakness, what is the most beneficial thing for you to do? And third, test every thought, every opportunity, every relationship in light of your future goals, plans, and dreams. One of the biggest challenges we see when we try to play the game where we try to compare ourselves to somebody else They may have a totally different set of goals and desires. If your desire is to be pure and holy and faithful to the God who loves you, who has bought you with a high price, and you want to grow closer to him, this will affect what you say is okay for you. Well, how do I know if I have a problem? I mean, if temptation comes to all of us, and, and that's just something as a way of life, then how do I know if this is an issue for me? Well, let's get real specific. The chart there on the left, we see it says sin, and then I confess, and then I sin, and then I confess, and then I sin, and then I confess, and again, and again, and again. Until I stop confessing, or I stop caring about what I confess, and we get into this rut, this cycle, that the chains of willful disobedience, repeated over and over again, just carves a groove in our heart till we are desensitized from the destruction the enemy is bringing down on us. There's a possible change that could happen. When there is an area of disobedience and sin comes into our life, when the light has been brought to us, we can confess, we can repent, and we can make restitution, and temptation will come again. But we can resist the temptation with the principles the Lord has given us here in Scripture, and I don't have to stay stuck in that pattern over and over again. But let's be honest, when we talk about sexual temptation and sexual sin, Many in our culture have no desire to see change. They just want the effects of that sin to be dealt with for them. A sexual addiction is a sex drive that has become obsessed to the point that behavior is out of control. Well, that sounds scary and strange. That's got to be someone else. It can't be you or me. If you're in a sin-confess, 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 sin-confess cycle... Friend, Jesus would say, this is a problem. He doesn't want you to stay stuck here. So what do I do? First, deal with the spiritual consequences of sexual sin. By acknowledging that you have done things that are not right in the eyes of God. Take responsibility for your actions. Don't blame. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, it's, it's, it's justified because this is what happened to me, or this is what was done to me, or this is what was presented to me, or, or this is what I was in this situation, and, and my, my guard was let down so low I, I could hardly help it. The, the devil made me do it. No. He brings it before you, but he can't force you to do anything. Take responsibility. Be genuine in your repentance. And ask God for help. This is the starting point. When I am genuine in repentance and I'm crying out to God for help, acknowledging that I can't beat this thing. I cannot take care of it. God, I need your help. This is where we start. Deal with the spiritual consequences of sexual sin. Then we can deal and we must move on to deal with the physical consequences of sexual sin. 
I think too many times we look at the spiritual consequences and we confess to the Lord, but we never allow God to bring victory into the physical consequences of sin. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is where I tried to warn you, if you don't want to have change happen, you need to not do any of these things. God wants to bring freedom to your soul. And he wants to change the pattern of sin here on earth in your life. You can be victorious over willful disobedience. As I shared, these principles for repentance and confession and being broken before God and making restitution apply to any area of sin. Fighting the temptation of sexual sin, these principles are true for any area that we're tempted. But I believe that in a room like this, with great people like you, it would be a tremendous disservice to say, well... You and I never, ever deal with this. I believe that God is saying, don't live under guilt anymore. We've been talking on Thursday mornings, man. Jesus is not a dispenser of guilt. He doesn't leverage guilt. Say, come follow me or else I'll tell everybody how dirty, rotten you are because I know everything about you. He doesn't leverage people by guilt, no. But he loves you too much to sweep the things we are guilty for underneath the rug. He didn't say, well, because I don't want to leverage the guilt, well, let's just pretend like it doesn't exist. He wants you to be free from the guilt of your sin. He wants you to have a clean heart and a pure and holy life before him. And God is longing for that to happen. The enemy wants you to hide in secrecy to be quiet and not make eye contact with me or anyone else right now and say I just going to get through this talk and keep moving on Satan will have victory again in your life but when we allow God to shine his truth and bring light to the dark areas in our heart Know that He is ready to embrace you and love you and to help change happen in your life. This is an area where I believe God wants us to have some practical tools to help us as we walk through the biblical pattern to break free from sexual sin and to resist sexual temptation. One of the tools that's there in your outline, I would highly encourage the series entitled Every Man's Battle. This is one of those series that was so successful, I think they came out with a version for every person who walks the face of the earth. They have every woman's battle. They have every young man's battle. They have every young woman's battle. I think they have every man's battle who has a bald head, and this is the book for you. It's just categorized just to speak to you. Here's what I love about this book. It doesn't just condemn and and smack you around and say, you dirty, rotten person. It builds up ways to resist the enemy's attempt to bring us down in a sexually saturated culture. Two principles from this book that I want to kind of give as a commercial to entice you, encourage you to check it out. One, they tell us, for men and women, to build a battle plan. Get specific about where the temptation comes from. Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. He didn't say, you know what, 
oh, man, I'm just getting tempted sexually everywhere. I'm going to go talk to Potiphar's wife about that. Don't talk to her. Run! Well, I'm just going to hang out at the master's quarters a little bit longer tonight and just hope that it goes away. Get away! Where is the temptation coming? Build a battle plan. The book talks about how to do that specifically. Another great principle is the principle of bouncing your eyes. Men and women, if we're dealing with issues of lust and what we take in with our eyes, there's a moment when you see a billboard or you see a commercial and our mind goes, wow, that's something. What if we would bounce our eyes? Wow, that's something I shouldn't see. And take that lag time of when we notice something that is not something we should feast our eyes on and we bounce our eyes away, allow it to be faster and faster. And pretty soon the Holy Spirit can prompt us, don't linger there, don't look at that lustful opportunity to sin, but look at the consequences, look at the escape, run away from that. This book would be filled with opportunities like that. I would like to pretend in this room that the internet is only a blessing to us here, never a curse. But I'd be lying to myself and lying to you. Here's some internet resources that I would like you to be aware of. For accountability and filters, you see uh, the first two here, internet safe, safe eyes, and covenant eyes. They're two very different resources. The first is great if you have children at home and it's to try to prevent and try to to filter out things that would be viewed accidentally. Again, I encourage parents to check this out or anybody who feels like you're stumbling accidentally upon things. But I want you to know if you are acknowledging this has been an issue in your life, a filter will do no good. No good. It doesn't take a technology wizard to figure out how to get around an internet. If it's an accident, you can prevent some things. My favorite resource is one called Covenant Eyes. Parents, you need to be aware that this filters nothing. All it does is bring accountability. Check out CovenantEyes.com. I encourage you to Google these websites because there's some predators who try to get websites that are spelled similar that you don't want to go. So please Google them. They are correct. I checked them, but they... Do nasty things around these words. But CovenantEyes.com allows you to, to pick an accountability partner, and they receive a text version of a report of what you have been viewing. And it gives a prob- probability percentage of, of how that web usage could be viewed. And it may be flagged in the red that something is inappropriate, and, and if I'm your accountability partner may look at it and it says WebMD and you may be dealing with a physical thing and we could begin to see that this is not a bad site. But just a few letters and you can begin to read and see this is not something that we should be viewing. We make an agreement that if you unload this software, that is the same thing as viewing something we shouldn't view. Now again, don't look at these resources if you want to stay the same. If you don't want to have change come in your life, heaven's sake, ignore me. Don't listen to anything that I'm saying. But if you want to have victory over this, if if you want to finally put this behind you, check some of these resources out. See if they're right for you. You don't have to go about this alone. There's a handful of other ministries and support that you can find. There's some websites there. Again, please Google those. There's one website that 
seems very disturbing at first, but I believe can be a benefit to any adult in this room. Google this address, triplexchurch.com. It's founded by two pastors whose life was wrecked by secrecy of sexual sin and an addiction to pornography. And they've started a ministry by helping bring this epidemic to the surface and shining God's light on it. It's full of great resources and interviews at looking at the tremendous pain and scars that the adult industry brings to those who view and those who provide those services. I mentioned this is great for an adult to check out. I don't want to bring any unnecessary temptation to someone who's not been exposed to the evil around them. But these are great Christian men who long to help take away the lie of the enemy that this is something that could be pleasing and good for us. Oh, are you done, Pastor? I'm ready to make eye contact with somebody. One theologian said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you have to actively participate if you let them build nests in your hair or beard for someone like me. Friend, don't let the enemy bring shame to a place where God wants to bring victory. As we pray tonight, I want you to ask God to allow this to be a source of joy and celebration in your life where God wants to bring freedom to all areas of temptation. Joseph was a man who followed God, who came from a very dysfunctional family, who had pride all over him, but God used him in a mighty way. Joseph was a man who had temptation hit him just like we do, and he was able to fight through that temptation. And God is offering the same strength and power to every man, woman, boy, and girl here tonight. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. That your word is full of very relevant, practical, nitty-gritty teachings that can really bring change to our life. Lord, I pray that you'll take your words here in these texts and you will plant seeds in our heart that will shine the light of your truth on any darkness that's hiding in our heart. Lord, I pray that You will teach us to guard what goes in our heart. Lord, I pray specifically for every man and every woman and boy and girl here that you would create in us a purity. Help us to be holy as you are holy, not by our willpower, but by surrendering and crying out to you. God, let us look to the consequences. Let us look to the way of escape, let us run from it, and let us see the victory that you bring in our life. Jesus, I thank you right now for the hope that you are bringing this very day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. I want to encourage you, don't miss the next number of Wednesday nights as we continue to learn from Joseph's story. Have a great evening. You're dismissed. What did I say?